welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Please get it out and turn to 1 Corinthians. Also in your bulletin, just a reminder, there's always a little white piece of paper in there that's an outline. It's the main points of our sermon, and that's in there to help you. If you'd like to fill that out, uh, you're more than welcome to do so as we go through. If you don't want to, if you prefer to listen, you absolutely do not have to do that. And today there is also a pink piece of paper in your bulletin. You're going to need that. So if you want to get that out and just kind of glance at it. Well, we are starting a new series today called Unify Us, and it's no surprise to you that the focus of this series is on unifying the church. And I just want you to know that as we start this, this is not purposeful. Like I'm not aware of any great church drama that I'm like, we got to get in the Bible and figure this out. And if there was church drama, I would be the last one to know anyway, because you guys would be, you know, be mad at me for something, but it's not purposeful. I just really felt led as I was looking for our next series, like first Corinthians. And honestly, earlier this week, I opened up first Corinthians and I started just reading like, like what are we going to study? And I really felt drawn to just start at the beginning. And the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians deals with church unity. And so I just really felt like we've been led here. Now, with this topic of church unity, I just want you to know that I don't think we have a problem right now. But... We are all different people from from different backgrounds with different views and different experiences and different perspectives. And so for that reason, when you put a bunch of people who are different together in a church, eventually we will have a disagreement of some type. What, What I want us to think about is as we have the possibility of disagreements or seeing things differently in the future is how are we gonna handle that? So what I wanted to do is I wanted to start off on church unity series on something we could all agree on. I've got a picture coming up up here, and I just want us to take a vote of unity on this picture. If you would describe this picture as a picture of a young lady, please raise your hand up high where I can see you. Okay, a lot of us, uh but not everybody. If you would describe this picture as an old lady, please raise your hand up high when I can see them. You guys are running my sermon. Like, this is, this is not the point here. Like, like, we got two different things. Okay, let's try this again. I'm going to see if I can help you. Everybody, please look at that pink piece of paper that I handed out to you, or it was in the bulletin. This is going to help. Look at that really close. Study it. Uh, let's try again. If you see a young lady in this picture, please raise your hand. If you see an old lady up here, please raise your hand. Y'all are hopeless. I don't know what to do with y'all, right? Uh, Some of you know what this picture is. And RB, you can go to the next picture if you want to. This is an optical uh, optical illusion that has been used since the late 1880s. And I was actually able to force your perspective of what this picture looked like, depending on which picture, either the picture on the left or the right, you got in your bulletin. Those of you who got the picture on the left were most likely to see the lady in this picture as young. Those of you who got the picture to see, or got the picture on the right were most likely to see the lady as an old lady. Now, the reason I start with that as we look at all three pictures is what I want you to know is we had a disagreement. Was it a young lady or was it an old woman in this picture? But you thought you were right and you thought others were wrong when they disagreed with you. But it turns out it wasn't right or wrong. It was a difference in perspectives at the world. 
And in church, what we have a lot of times in groups of Christians is we come into this place with different perspectives. We can be young or old. We can be new Christians or seasoned Christians. And those different perspectives can cause division. And it shouldn't because most of the things churches fight about are not matters of right or wrong. Most of the things churches fight about are differences of perspective. And so when we come upon these differences of perspective, one of two things are going to happen to a church. When we have some kind of a conflict over a difference in our beliefs, number one, that church is going to be ripped apart as we are willing to die for our perspective and our belief and our opinion. That's what we're trying to avoid in case you were wondering. But number two, what can happen to a church is actually, if we can figure out how to work through our differences, this can actually be a superpower for the church, different perspectives. I once heard a pastor put it something like this. He said, the ability to have differences and conflict in the church and overcome that conflict is the best way to show Jesus in us to the world. You can go to your workplace and people are going to fight. You you can go to your family and people are going to fight. But when you come to church and it's a bunch of believers and we can have a difference and we can say, let's figure out how to work this together. Then suddenly that becomes a testament in a way that we show the gospel to the world, proving that we really are new creatures. Now, just so you know, every church has moments of differences and moments of difficulty. And that's why Paul is writing about this in 1 Corinthians. So if you don't know much about 1 Corinthians, let me give you a little background here. 1 Corinthians is what we call an epistle. That's just a fancy word for letter. Why we don't say letter, I don't know. We say epistle. So this is a letter from Paul to the church in a city named Corinth. Corinth is the city, Corinthians are the people, just like we live in America, yet we are Americans. And what you need to know about Corinth is Corinth was a trade city. It was a place where all of the trade routes on land met all the trade routes at the sea. So there was great diversity in Corinth. And and basically everything from all over the world was coming into Corinth. And it was just common to know that everybody would see things differently than you. And you just kind of accepted that. And for that reason, Corinth became one of the, with that world exposure, became one of the most sinful cities in the world. I want you to think Las Vegas or think San Francisco. Like, like that's the kind of city that Corinth was. And out of this city with these pagan standards, um, out of the, uh, with these pagan standards, out of the city, this is where these people are being converted and becoming believers. And out of that horrible, horrible culture, it's no shock to me that Paul is going to have to write them and say, hey, you guys need to work on a few things because they're coming from way down here and trying to reach the heights that God has for them. So in this, Paul is going to write this letter, and it is largely a correction letter. But because it is canonized, that means it's part of the Bible, it tells me that God had Paul writing this letter not only to the Corinthians, but to Ramsey Heights, because it's problems that you and I will likely face as well. If you've got your Bible, chapter one here, let's read verses one through three. This is is the beginning of of the letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenus, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, Uh, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus.
Jesus Christ. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to go through this whole chapter this morning. So this is the introduction of the letter. Just as we have norms with how we write letters, we always, we always write a letter. It's like, Dear Brian, and then we put the meat of it in there. And then at the bottom, we put sincerely or love you or thinking of you, and we sign our name. That's how we identify who the letter is to and who the letter is from. At this time, Paul identifies in his letters, I'm Paul, and I'm writing to the Corinthians here. And I've got some things to say to you. Now, what we know about the church at Corinth is they had a lot of problems. But I find maybe the most encouraging thing that I have found in the Bible, one of anyway, in verses 1 through 3 here. When Paul writes this, he's about to talk about some really bad subjects. He's going to talk about disunity in the church. He's going to talk about sexual immorality in the church, including a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. He's going to talk about fighting. He's going to talk about broken marriages. He's going to talk about messing up in church roles. But if you'll notice what he does here is he addresses this to the church of God in Corinth. I love that because I read Corinthians. I'm like, they got it messed up. Then I look at me and I'm like, I'm messed up. But I love what the Bible's saying here. You know, a church is not a building. I say it all the time. I'm as guilty as anybody. Got to go up to the church. Got work day at the church. Church is not the building. The church is the people. We could burn this church down today. We're not going to, but we could burn this church down today and Ramsey Heights would still live because we are Ramsey Heights. Uh, the, the word church literally means, in Greek, it literally means the assembly or the gathering of believers. And it's just so encouraging to me as we start into this that Paul is writing to people who are truly followers of Christ. And yet they don't have it all together. They're broken and they're messed up and they're making mistakes the same as, as I do and the same as you do. Again, he calls them saints, meaning they belong to Christ. He calls them sanctified, which means set, a, uh, set apart uh, for God. And that is just so encouraging to me when we look at this. And it gives us a truth that I think that we all need to write on our hearts. This is our first take-home truth. It's churches and church members are not perfect. Now, with that, I think we need to apply that to us personally. Let's just address our imperfection. Like Ramsey Heights, I love you. I love this church. I have for a long time. You're here this morning because you love this church as well. But let me just lovingly remind you, let me just lovingly remind you that we are a group of imperfect people, you included. I hate to burst your bubble. Like, you're not perfect either. And for that reason, at some point in the future, you're going to come here and in some way, you're going to have an expectation of what this church should be. And Ramsey Heights is going to let you down. You're, you're going to come to this church and at some point, you're going to expect something out of the pastor of this church, whether that's me or somebody else. And listen, do, never, do not ever put a pastor on a pedestal because I promise you, I will let you down. And that should be our expectation up front. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're doomed to church hop all of your life because you'll go to a church and the second that you feel like this church is not perfect, this, is, this church let me down, I expected more than this, you'll be disappointed and walk away. But we should look at a church at the beginning and just know we're not perfect, there will be problems, but we can handle it in a way that gets us through it. And so what makes us a church is not our own perfection, but that we're loved by a perfect Savior. And he loves us in spite of our imperfection. Now, to say that, I think we also have to say this. Does that mean that, that I now have an excuse to sin? Well, Brian, we're imperfect, broken people. I can tell people my mind. Maybe I got a little too angry, but they deserved it. 
Well, Brian, everybody up here is broken. Half the church is doing it. I can do it too. I mean, we're imperfect. We admit that, right? But that's also not the way to look at church. Because as a church comes together, what we do is we acknowledge that we are broken, not so that we can keep being broken. We acknowledge that we are broken for the purpose of fighting against that brokenness together. And that's what Paul is doing here with Corinth in this letter. He's writing them a letter telling them, you are broken, but let me hold you accountable. You should be fighting this brokenness together. Let's continue reading what Paul says here, verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called unto fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I, I love what Paul's doing here. So he takes some time. We know he's fixing to get to the meat of this here in a second. We know he's fixing to talk about some hard subjects, but he, he starts to praise them. And you could read that and be like, well, that's empty praise. He's, he's saying nice things, but he's going to say some mean things here in a minute. And I think I know what Paul is doing here. Uh, Paul is giving these people a compliment sandwich. Now, you might not know what that is. I sure didn't either. There was a time in my life where I was preparing to have a very hard conversation with a very dear friend of mine about some sin in his life and how it was affecting me. And as I was walking out the door, I heard my wife say, remember, compliment sandwich. So I closed the door and walked back in. I said, what is a compliment sandwich? What do you mean? She said, always remember that when you have to say something hard to somebody, you do it like a sandwich. You start off with bread. You, you start off with some praise so that they know their value. And you know, they know that you love them. And they don't define themselves by the hard things that you have to say in the middle, which is the meat of the conversation. And then you add compliments to the top of that. It's the craziest thing I'd ever heard of. But it works. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. It's not some, some technique of trying to uh, make people like him or make them more willing to listen to him. What he's actually doing is he's encouraging them. In the light of a hard discussion, let me just remind you that no matter what you've done wrong, no matter how hard this may be for us to talk about, God has given you spiritual gifts that he is faithful to you, that he loves you, and that he has a purpose for you. But in order for you to achieve that purpose God has for you, We've got to have a hard conversation first. We've got to have a hard conversation uh, about what you're broken in. So our next take-home truth is God has a purpose for us even in brokenness. And I love that. Uh, let's read here what Paul's instruction is in verse 10. He says, now I beseech you. I like the way the New King James puts that out. He says, I plead with you. Now I uh, plead with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but th that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So as Paul starts to get into the, the deepness of what he wants to write to the Corinthians, here's what he asks of them in verse 10. He says, I want you to do these things. I want you to speak the same. I don't want you to have any divisions among you. I want you to be perfectly joined together with the same mind and the same judgment. It's like, anything else? Like, is that all you need from us, Paul? 
Because that, that's impossible. You can put any two people in a room and give them any subject and they cannot possibly be of the same mind and the same heart and be completely uh, put together, be completely uh, faithful to each other in that. It's impossible. But here's what I love about what Paul says. He says, I beseech you or I plead with you. You, you know what that means? It's not a command. It's, he didn't say try. He's asking and this is something very important to me about what the scripture is saying. When Paul says to these people, hey, I'm asking you guys, would you please, would you please be unified? You only ask for what you know somebody can supply. That's why not a single one of you has ever had me ask you for a million dollars because I do not feel like you can give me a million dollars. So it would be dumb for me to ask for you to do something for me you can't do. And when Paul is looking at this, he says, let me ask you to do something. Let me beg you to do something, which tells me that Paul had the belief, not that this was possible, but he believed that the people of Corinth, the, the Christians at Corinth, had the ability to do this. And so our next take-home truth is this, is that believers have the power to be in complete unity. And when you have the ability to do something, that means you have the choice to do something. So when we look at church unity, the truth is we, we have a choice to decide to be unified or we have a choice to decide to be disunified, uh, disunified. And suddenly disunity is not something that happens to a church. Disunity is something that a church chooses. And so I think what the Bible is asking of us right now is that we choose to be a church of unity. And before we go any farther, before I read you the rest of this and tell you the rest of what Paul said here, I just want to ask you to make a commitment in your heart. Can you be a church member? Can you be a person who assembles here with us? And can you commit to unity in this church? Now, before you answer that, let me, let me just tell you, like, this is hard. This is a decision that you make based upon the merits of the outcome not the ease of, of what's happening in the meantime. Because I, when I tell you how, you will see that this is hard. But what's important to us as we look at our church and we say, we want to represent our God no matter what in unity. And that may mean that I have to die to myself a little bit. That may mean I have to forgive something that I feel like is unforgivable. That may mean that I have to let somebody else have their way and give up my way. So I ask you again, is even under those circumstances, even though that is the process to church unity, can we be a church that is unified in differences and in divisions? Let's keep reading because Paul's going to explain this process to us, verses 11 through 17. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brothers, that, which, uh, which are, that them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that every one of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So as Paul begins to address disunity here, the disunity in Corinth specifically was in factions. 
And this was factions of preference. Uh, Corinth had had many different pastors, many different people that had come and taught. And what you had in Corinth is you had groups of people and they started to identify almost like a party of church. Some of them would say, I'm the party of Paul. Paul planted this church. I'm I'm part of him. Like Like I follow him. And others would say, well, you can be the party of Paul. I personally am the party of Apollos. He didn't plant the church, but he was the pastor here when I came here. I'm his party. So others said, you guys are so dumb. We're the party of Cephas. That's, that's Peter, by the way. We're the party of, C- of Peter. He's one of the original apostles. Some would even say the leader of the apostles. We follow him. And yet others said, well, we're the party of Jesus, which I think those guys had it right. And this created factions in the church. This created cliques. And this is what we do when we have disunity is we tend to find like-minded people and we flock to each other, creating a faction. I find someone who shares my views. I feel a kinship with you when you say, I like that song you like, even though Jessica doesn't like. I I find happiness when I hear somebody say back to me my own opinion, so I tend to gravitate towards them. I I tend to want to be close to them, and this creates a faction. And anytime you have a faction of like-minded people come together, you will find that it's not even so much about what they agree on anymore, that that faction is now about opposing people who are different-minded And this is the danger of what we call an echo chamber. You know what an echo is, right? It's like when you stand up on top of a mountain and there's a great canyon and you yell. I started to yell, but some of y'all are sleeping. I don't want anybody to have a heart attack. Like like you you yell up there like, you can hear the echo in here, right? Uh, What happens is if you yell, hello, somebody yells hello back at you. And so you hear your own voice again and again and again. And factions in church are like echo chambers where I find the people who repeat my opinions back to me and I run away from the people who disagree with my opinions. And that is so dangerous for a church because at the end of it, we will begin opposing people who don't echo my opinion back to me and yet lifting up people who do echo my opinion back to me. So our next take-home truth is this, is that disunity is caused by differences of preference. I want to say that word again. Differences of preference. Our next take-home truth after that is that differences of preferences lead to opposing factions. And so in Corinth, they had, this, they had this problem with the different leaders. Like different people wanted to follow different leaders. It seems like a silly thing to be disunified over. And luckily, I don't think that there anybody in here is going, I'm the party of Brian. Or I'm the party of one of our former pastors. Our deacons don't all have their little groups. The party of Larry, the party of Norman, and the party of Scott, and the party of Roy. We don't have that here. But what do we have modern day? Because we have differences and disunion in church. And as I was studying this week, I came on an article by uh, Sam Rayner. If you don't know who Sam Rayner is, you probably know his father, Tom Rayner. We've read some of his books here, like um, I Am a Church Member, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, Becoming a Welcoming Church. These are books you've probably heard of. This is his son wrote this, and he runs a website called Church Answers. And Church Answers is a place for specifically pastors to talk and build each other up. And and, uh, Sam Rayner got on there one day and he asked, what is the silliest thing you have ever been a part of in a church fight? And I wanted to share from you from his article, 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. Some of the things that people have fought over. You're going to love these. These are great. So, uh, number one, uh, a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the woman's bathroom. (laughs) Like, talk about unity. If you're going to the bathroom without being divided, I don't know. Uh, That's crazy. Uh, Secondly, a church had a fight about a petition that was put in to have all church staff clean-shaven. That means I would be fired because I'd look like a baby without my facial hair. Um, 
I love this one. A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. How silly can we be? Uh, business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to, to resolve. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. My absolute favorite one, an argument on whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at a church meal. That's crazy. And the last one, a complaint that the youth director was playing games that involved playing cards. A compromise was reached where the cards could be used only outside the view of older members. Full disclosure, uh, that one wasn't on the list. That happened to me here at Ramsey Heights one time. Like, that was us all. Keep the, keep the playing cards out of the view of older people. Like, like, such silly things to start a fight over. And once you look at that list, over every single one of those things in that list is they're all silly. They're all matter of preferences or too strong opinions about non-biblical matters. Listen, nobody is going to get saved based on your stance on deviled eggs. It will never happen that way. And yet, there's so many other things that we could add to that list that may seem really important to us, but in the light of what, what God sees in us, I really, I really think that they're just as silly. And this, this applies here for us. Like, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to try to remove the dividers from the ladies' room. I feel like that would cause a fight. But there are differences among us. Yeah, see, I was warned there. Yes, that will cause a fight. There are differences among us that are not factions yet. But if we as a church don't check our hearts, it will create factions. And it will create division. And here's what hurts the most about that. It's not that some people may leave. It's not that some people be unhappy with others. It's when there's division in the church, it affects our mission. And that's what we're here for. We're not here for your opinions or my opinions. We're here for mission. I live right behind the church, and um, I've got a neighbor, and I invited her to church. Literally in the shadow of this church, from her backyard, you can see the building we're sitting in right now. And I talked to her, and of course, as I've talked to her, I invite her to church all the time. Hey, I'm waiting on you to come to church. When you come to church, can't wait to see you. Like, like, come to church. And about the third time I invited her to church, she began to go down a list of every division Ramsey Heights has had in the last 20 years. She talked about the people that left, she talked about the people that stayed. She talked about the way former pastors had acted. She talked about the way that people at this church had treated the pastors. And as somebody who's been here for 20 years, I can just tell you, she had the list correct. You know what? I still haven't seen her here. And I don't expect I ever will. Because Satan has used divisions in this church to warn her against this place. From the past, that's not the present. But nobody wants to lose a soul over our own opinions. Nobody wants to lose the ability to spread the gospel or invite somebody into our family based upon our opinions. And if that's true, we've got to get to a point where we say, my opinions, my wants, and my desires do not matter. 
my God and the mission he sent me on has mattered. And this was Paul's heart. Uh, I love what Paul says here. He says, I'm thankful I didn't baptize you so that you could claim you had a special baptism. I love what Paul's saying. He's like, I'm thankful I didn't do more there because you guys would obviously take that and create some division out of it. I love Paul's heart here. There was a party of Paul at this church and he could have wrote to them and said, well, obviously the party of Paul is the best. He could have wrote to them and said, you guys shouldn't be fighting, but gave a little nod to the people. like, oh, thank you. Thank you for liking me, even though it's probably not right. But what Paul did here is he reprimands all of them. He says, forget about me. I care about the mission. And so churches today face many, many, many divisions, some of which we may face here at time with different opinions. Uh, there's actually a term called worship wars, and that's what happens to a church when you start to bring in new music because you have some members that don't want new music and some members who can't live without it, and it causes wars and division, but that's not how it should be. Sometimes churches fight over Bible version where, where people say, mine is the only right one. You must use the version that I say you must use, and it causes a split in the church. We may be forced with a fight over how we decorate or a project that we're building, a new building or, or remodeling a building at some point. We may be faced with division over how the kids' programs run or many, many more. And what would Paul say about all of those instances? Here's what he would say. As a matter of fact, he's already said it. He would say, speak the same. Have no divisions among you. Be perfectly joined together. Be of the same mind and the same judgment. So the question is, is how do we become a church that is of the same mind, of the same judgment? How do I forget me? Let's continue reading because Paul's going to describe it. He says this, you've heard these verses before. He says, uh, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by which wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But to unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You probably heard these verses preached standing alone here, and there's a lot of context in there. But in the context of how Paul writes it, this is an example that he wants to describe foolishness and wisdom. He says, look, if you look at how humans naturally view things, it's silly. And he uses the cross as an example. He said, you go out into the world and you tell people that God who created everything loves you so much that he was born of a virgin, he became a human, he grew up and he died on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. And because of his death and his resurrection, we are offered salvation for nothing more than faith. And the world says, well, that's a fairy tale. It's too good to be true. I'm too smart for that. But as a believer of Christ, that's the core of my identity, is that my God loved me, and he loved you enough to come to this world to save us and to love us. And because of nothing that I can do, but because of his love for us, I have the ability to be saved. So the point that Paul is making here is if you look at how awesome the message of the cross is versus how people receive it, here's what you know about people. People are dumb. 
And the point he's making to Corinth and to us is your wisdom and your intelligence and your opinions are all fallible. And if you can't lay those aside, it's because you have a perspective problem where you are thinking that you are smarter than you are and you can fix that perspective problem by comparing yourself to the wisdom of God. All right, our next take-home truth is division is a result of too much emphasis on our own wisdom. And if we're so tied to our opinions that we're willing to fight in a church about it, it's because we're not taking enough time to put ourselves in proper perspective. And perspective is a great thing. Perspective is a great thing to, to really take some time back and go, okay, I don't want to think just what I think anymore. I want to see the, the true aspect of it. A few years ago, a, a group of psychologists decided to study the psychology of attractiveness. They wanted to know how do people view themselves versus how do other people view them? And so they came up with this experiment, and here's what they did. They took everybody, and everybody had to write down on a piece of paper, they had to rate themselves on a scale of 1 to 10, how attractive are you? 1 being not attractive, 10 being like a supermodel. And then they had a bunch of other people come in there, and they showed them pictures of these individuals, and they said, you rate the attractiveness of that individual. You tell us what they think. And here's what they found. Here's the perspective. What they found is that people consistently rated themselves two to three spots more attractive than the people around them rated them. Oh, now that hurts some of you in here. You're like, oh no, that's, no, that's not the point. That's not the point. That's not the point. But perspective is a great thing. And what we find out in that is we often think more of ourselves than we should. I, I don't like psychologists. I wanted to try this for myself. So I thought I'd do my own experiment. I'd see if this was true. Um, so I decided I was going to rate myself on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not attractive, 10 being very attractive. Being a pastor, I thought it would be becoming of me to be very humble. So I took a very humble stance and said, out of 1 to 10, I rated myself a 14. So that's, that's where we were. And why are y'all laughing? Uh, I rated myself a 14 and I thought, I'm going to bring my wife in on this experiment. So we were driving to a wedding in Ohio on Friday and we were driving to Reno. I was like, hey, babe, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 1 being not attractive at all and 10 being very attractive, Give me a rating. She didn't even look at me. You know what she said? Four. Mm. I learned something about perspective. I learned something on Friday. And here's what I learned. So my wife needs glasses. And we're going to get that fixed this week. I've made her an appointment secretly. No, no, no. But joking aside, joking aside about that. I've lost my place in my notes. Joking aside in that, how often do we do that in church? I've got a perspective. I've got an opinion. And somebody disagrees with it. I'm like, you need glasses. You're obviously wrong because you don't see it the way that I do. You, you obviously aren't as godly as I am because you're not seeing things the way that I do. And a lot of times that's where division in the church starts is yelling at each other, you need glasses because we don't see things the same way. Now, let me just say this. If you think I'm talking specifically to you, I promise you I am not doing that purposely. I'm not pointing at any particular person. The only person I'm pointing at is if you're sitting here and you're thinking, boy, I hope so-and-so in front of me is listening to this because they're not seeing things. I'm probably talking to you. But what I want you to know about this, if this is hitting you hard as it does me, what I want you to know is that I studied this this week. I was like, oh, this is good. Oh, this is so good. A church needs to hear this. And then God started to be like, well, what about you, Brian? I'm like, I'm not the church. I'm the pastor, God. I don't need to hear that. And God started to work in my heart. And God started to say, Brian, that's you. Brian, you look at people as the pastor of a church and you think they need glasses because they don't see what you see or want what you want because they're not focused on growing the church in the same way that you are, Brian. You think that you have to get your way or it's the wrong way. 
And, and I say that because I want y'all to know that pastors aren't super Christians. I'm doing the same thing you guys are doing. I'm here to worship. I'm just doing a different job than you do. And I want you to know that if you feel like I'm attacking you with scripture this morning, it's actually the scripture attacking us collectively because our hearts are broken and dirty and have fallen away from God. So the question is, is if I have an opinion or if you have an opinion, is it wrong? That's not wrong to have an opinion. It's not even wrong to have an opinion different than others. But it is wrong to have an opinion that is so strong that it divides and it pushes others away and it pulls like-minded people to you. And if you're doing those things with your opinion, you're placing your opinions above God's opinions who placed us together and called us a church and calls us brothers and sisters and values us all together. See, nobody here can be esteemed because we're older or younger or traditional or contemporary or newer here or been here longer. None of those things matter because God says that we are a family and we should be working on mission together. So here's the answer to fixing all of the problems. Verses 26 through 31. Paul speaking again, he says, For see your calling, brothers, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, that, many, that God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring uh, to not things that are that no flesh should glory in the presence, but of him who are in, in Christ Jesus, who are of God, is made unto the wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorify, uh, glorifieth, glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's a lot to break down. Let me, let me give you the short version. Paul here gives the antidote to division in the church. He says, you've got to make a decision who you're going to glorify in your church. Are you going to glorify yourself and your opinions and your wants and your desires? And if you do that, you are sure to cause division and disagreement because somebody will not want the same things that you want. But if you glorify God together, you will find unity. So we're asked to make a choice. I ask you to make a choice earlier. I ask you to make a choice. Are we a church of unity or are we a church of me and my opinions? And if you chose to be a member of unity, if you chose to be someone who is going to be unified and glorified God no matter what, you do that by choosing to die to yourself and saying, as long as God gets the praise and the glory out of it, that's all that matters. Our last take-home truth is this. Is too much emphasis on our own wisdom is a result of self-glory. Actually, that's not the last one. So what this is saying is that church division is not an issue problem, it's a heart problem. Church division is, is not something that we need to let go kind of problem, it's a focus problem. It's a problem between my wants and God's wants. And let me say this, if you're sitting here today and you have a problem with somebody else in this church, that's not their fault. That's a heart problem with you. Because your focus and your vision and your desire is not on what God wants you to have. See, God's plan is for us to glow, grow close to people who are different than us, who have different perspectives, and glorify Him together. This is our last take-home truth. It says that what unifies, unif what unites us should be stronger than what divides us. And what unites us is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, if I want to have the musicians up here, Jesus Christ went to the cross for my sins and he died for me. And that's why I'm here this morning. It's not for what I want or what I desire. I'm here to glorify God. But you know what? God also died for the person who sits here who disagrees with me. 
who sees things differently than me. And yet God in his wisdom, if we are following what he has called us to do, he has put us in a church together knowing we would be different so that ultimately we can glorify him when he says we are a new creature by the way we behave not like the world. I have no clue why God called us here today. I really don't know. But what I'd like to ask you this morning is there's something in your heart that has you disunited with other people in this church. Is there selfishness you need to lay aside? Is there something that you've been holding on to that you need to forgive and let go of? That's what this response time is for, is for you to take what we've learned and what we've heard today and apply it to you. I'll pray with you. We'll sing as long as you want to come up here and pray. But as I ask you every single Sunday, don't leave here the same as you came in. Let's stand and worship together.